0: In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something special.
1: Most writers I know are always looking for their cave. I have a, I have a friend who actually bought a very small camper trailer to park in her driveway because she has cats and they drive her crazy. And so she <laughs> somehow had to run away from her cats. And then there and then there are other writers who, and, and I've done this and for some reason it works, you can be in a crowded space that's very impersonal, like a cafe or on a train or ferry boat or something. And for some reason, you can isolate yourself and get some writing done in that way. And in fact, when I was, uh, I I just got back from a trip to the East Coast. And so I had a very long flight. And for some reason, uh, uh, I'm very grateful. I wrote like probably 4,500 words of my work in progress that I'm working on right now.
0: And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your grateful host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance for per usual. Number one New York Times bestselling author, Susan Wiggs, returned to chat with me about her island writing hideout, rescuing two puppies at the same time, holiday genre tropes, and her latest Christmas book, The Twelve Dogs of Christmas. Susan is the award-winning, number one New York Times bestselling author of over 50 published novels with over 25 million copies in print, published in 30 countries and translated into over 20 languages. Her latest, The Twelve Dogs of Christmas, is described as the ultimate holiday gift from the best-selling author, a delightful novel about a Christmas transport of rescue puppies that's guaranteed to warm readers' hearts. Number one New York Times bestselling author Debbie McComer said of the book, Don't miss this charming Christmas tale of thawing hearts, escaping dogs, and finding home. In this file, Susan and I discussed writing on planes, trains, and automobiles, her love of classic Christmas stories, how the latest ties into her Lakeshore Chronicles series. Why like one of the easiest things to do in the world is not write. Getting snowed in with Tony Morrison, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on, And don't forget you can always support this show heading to writerfiles.fm where you can also sign up for email updates and other resources for writers and if you're a fan of the writer files please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us Yes, we are back once again. I am honored today to be joined by a returning guest. We have, of course, number one New York Times bestselling author, Susan Wiggs. And I have been catching up and it's been a minute. But yeah, I can't wait to uh, talk about what you've been up to.
1: I love this chat with you. And I just I can't say enough about um, how enjoyable it is to sit with somebody who really gets it gets the way a writer thinks and, um, the way a book works. And so, yeah, um, feel free. I am, I am yours to, my brain is yours to pick.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Um, well, pick, pick, pick away. We will. And, um, yeah, I, uh, want to catch up about, of course, the release of your latest, the 12 dogs of Christmas, which I've been enjoying very much. And yeah, we're going to talk all about that, of course, and what you have been up to over the last six months. I wanted to, you know, talk a little bit more about, you know, we, I'll just remind you what we talked about on our last show. We really got to dig into your process some. We were talking about, you know, how you became a professional writer, how you really kind of embody, you know, just this perseverance and the longevity of your career obviously points to that with over 50 books now. Um, you probably even lost count. Your name is now much bigger than your titles, and and that's uh, I think something we also <laughs> touched on. But um, you seem also very humble, and of course you have this fantastic writers retreat there. And are you in Puget Sound at the at the moment? Or are you out there on Bainbridge Island?
1: I am. I'm on in my Bainbridge Island home, which really I, I love to write all over the world. You know, and, you know, on trains and ferry boats and wherever I happen to be. But I have to say my most productive times are when I'm sort of cloistered in my writing space at my home.
0: Yeah. And I have to say I have family um, that live in Seattle, um, a brother, in fact. And I have spent a good amount of time on Bainbridge and, and it's just such a magical place. You know what I always enjoyed the most was just taking the ferry over um, and that the kind of the quiet and the solitude of the sound. Um, of course, so much water. And then the mountains, of course you're just right there in the, in the uh, shadow of Mount Rainier, which is just a beautiful picturesque <laughs> scene, like daily, right?
1: Oh my gosh, it is. yeah. And so if uh, uh, listeners are curious, they can find me on Instagram. I've almost always got a shot uh, out my window you know, rain or shine, it's, there's always something to look at out there. Even, you know, it could be a, an aircraft carrier going by or, you know, just Mount Rainier at sunrise. It's just really stunning. And so I feel really lucky. But on the other hand, writing happens so much inside your head that having a beautiful, gorgeous place to do it is not required. It's, it's just kind of a bonus.
0: That's right. Yes. Uh, but a magical place it is. And it made me happy to watch that video you had on your website of talking about your, your writing retreat there in your office and, and the, the sound and it's all really beautiful. But yeah, so we talked about how your writing process has changed over the last 36 years. And of course you had mentioned, I thought it was fun to revisit that you're a lefty and that you do your first drafts always in longhand.
1: I do, and that's one of those habits that I think I'll probably take to the grave with me. I suppose it has to do with, and you would know more about this than I do, about um, the way your brain is connected to your hand and your nervous system and your thoughts and things like that, because it seems to be my initial way to express myself and it's weird because once I have my my manuscript rendered in type, I just, I edit the heck out of it. And mm. so, um, but it seems like the initial composition wants, wants to be done in longhand.
0: Yeah. And I wonder if that doesn't point to something, again, you mentioned it, kind of that neurobiological piece of, you know, what they say. And we, we could also speak to kind of like the different, Um, styles of different generations of writers, because I'm sure that a lot of younger writers...
1: Oh, they write on their phone. They probably, you know, talk their books into their phone um, and, and while they're staring off into space. And I admire that so much, but I can't imagine trying to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, they, you know, I think that the studies have shown that, especially in like an academic setting, that taking notes by hand actually helps retention and i wonder if it doesn't have to do something with your storytelling process of you kind of hashing out the story uh initially it helps you to kind of like process at least you know maybe even that uh, that empathy piece with your characters and um these you know again kind of getting into the the style of writing that you do um which is as you've mentioned like ordinary people facing extraordinary circumstances that you're kind of able to almost empathically kind of become these characters as you're writing them.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I think, like most writers, I'm highly distractible. And so if I limit myself to, you know, a notebook and a pen, I'm less likely to look at a notification or, you know, wander away and go down a rabbit hole. And the internet Mm -hmm. is great for that. And I get lots of, you know ideas for my book, but in the initial composition phase, I think it's more of a distraction for me, at least.
0: Yeah. Yep. And I've heard this so many times that so many prolific authors use this method um, where, you know, and, and even the ones who don't handwrite are using a dedicated word processing, you know, either a computer that's not connected to the internet or some other way to uh get the words down that again doesn't have that internet connection or you know they're using some kind of an app that actually blocks the internet from you know whatever that time period is earlier in the show i mentioned an invaluable resource for writers truth is the arrow mercy is the bow a diy manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing failing and trying again Just head over to Patreon.com slash The for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, Writer's Happy Hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join, to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's Patreon.com slash The Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on.
1: Most writers I know are always looking for their cave. I have, a, I have a friend who actually bought a very small camper trailer to park in her driveway because she has cats hmm. and they drive her crazy. And so she <laughs> somehow had to run away from her cats. And then there, and then there are other writers who, and, and I've done this, and for some reason it works, you can be in a crowded space that's very impersonal like a cafe or on a train or ferry boat or something. And for some reason you can isolate yourself and get some writing done in that way. And in fact, mm. when I was, um, I, I just got back from a trip to the East coast and so I had a very long flight. And for some reason uh, uh, I'm very grateful. I wrote like probably 4,500 words of my work in progress that I'm working on mm. right now. Um, and, 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 totally missed the movie I thought I was going to watch. But um, <laughs> yeah, for some reason, sometimes these other spaces where we're out in public, but we're still isolated, seem to work sometimes as well.
0: Yeah, amazing. Um, and I'm recalling author Mar- Mark Dawson, who's had some very prolific success as a self-published author, and, a, an, and now a hybrid author, but really said that he found his most prolific time was On his commute to and from the city, he he lives in uh, Great Britain, but he he was on the train and that was his, that was how he was getting, you know, he said he wrote the equivalent of like the Harry Potter series in in one whole year, just all on the train, just riding back and forth.
1: Wow, that's good. Uh, yeah, um, I, I have endless fascination for the way other writers work, because I'm I'm always convinced that somebody has, you know, the easy way, but I never seem to find it, do I?
0: <laughs> Amazing. Well, we got a chance to kind of explore your process previously, and that was, that was great. I'll, I'll point to the first part of our conversation. So now we can kind of, yeah, expand on that and talk a little bit more just about what you've been up to. Of course, When last we spoke, we were talking about welcome to beach town and obviously congrats on the success of that one. And now we're talking about the 12 dogs of Christmas. So
1: I went from the beach to the snowy mountains (laughs) um, of upstate New York in a nanosecond. And I, I normally in the past, I've, I've been more prolific, you know, usually out of necessity. Um, but now I kind of have the, the leisure to take my time with books, but this, um, this year was kind of a strange year for me because um, my publisher wanted a Christmas book and they specifically wanted, and I usually don't write to prescription unless something inspires me, but they specifically wanted a Christmas book with a dog on the cover. <laughs> and the reason is that um, I they, they had watched the trajectory um, of sales on another author's Christmas book in some other year, a previous year. And it had a dog on the cover. I don't know, a dog on the doorstep or something like that. And it just sold like hotcakes. So they said, could you write a Christmas book with a dog on the cover? And and I had just um, recently adopted these two little rescue dogs. Um, and one of them came on a pet transport all the way from Texas oh, wow. to the Seattle area where I live. And so I said, well, how about we put 12 dogs on the cover? And indeed, <laughs> They did. I assume you've got a copy of the book there.
0: I love that cover
1: so much. They got all the dogs on the cover. They had to wrap it around to the back. But <laughs> I, I have to say, of all the books I've ever written, this is the cutest.
0: <laughs> 100%. I love these dogs. And, uh, you know, I mean, who doesn't love a puppy in a Santa hat? So. Right. Um, I think uh, you've got a winner on your hands. Of course, this book, yeah. I mean, talk a little bit about, obviously, it is about rescue dogs and it is about relationships, obviously, but talk about how this kind of fits into your uh, oeuvre. Am I saying that? Yeah, yeah. How it kind of fits in, because as I'm reading, it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is the, this is the season I know. Not something, not some great departure. Um, you haven't you haven't sold out for Christmas, uh, so to speak. But yeah, talk talk about the inspiration behind this, because it is a compelling concept, and you know, and so many uh, people, myself included, have like sometimes mixed feelings about holidays, you know. But yeah, talk a little bit about the inspiration behind it.
1: Right. Well, as as soon as I kind of came up with the dog concept. The other thing is that a Christmas book, it's shorter, it's more of um, a merchandise item, you know, it's something, it, you can find it in the bookstore, but it's also, um, you know, it's got a smaller trim size, lower cover price. It's the that kind of impulse buy that, um, you know, the booksellers like to offer around the holidays. And so it needs to have a certain kind of Um, holiday vibe and energy. It's not going to be laden with deep seated, um, you know, traumatic issues, but there does need to be some substance to it to kind of grab the reader, the mature reader. So Uh it's just a children's book. And so in, in this one, what inspired me, first of all, I, I named um, the main character Brenda after um, the foster mom of one of the dogs that I that I adopted Brenda in Texas. We've never met. We met on a zoom call because she was fostering this litter of tiny puppies that had been um, created by a backyard breeder. You know, what those are, they, mm-hmm. they think they're going to breed dogs and then sell them um, in pet shops. I think in Texas, you're still pet shops are still legal and, um, and it never works out. You know, they end up surrendering the, the unhoused puppies to, the shelters and so anyway, she was just so compassionate hmm. and um, had such a, a can-do attitude. Uh, you know, somebody voiced twelve dogs on her and she's like, "Okay, I'll just expand my my TV room here and you know put a put a a baby fence up and and hope for the best." So I was really inspired by her compassion and attitude and, and, um, kind of a no nonsense. she was kind of a no nonsense gal. And so, Hmm. um, Brenda in my book, um, another trope that is really common in Christmas stories. And it's the one that I love is there's always a difference in energy between the Scrooge character and the happy go lucky. We love Christmas character. And Uh so I was able to create that tension between Brenda. She's Scrooge. She's been screwed by Christmas when she was a kid. A horrible thing happened that she blames herself for. And so she's always had that kind of inner background. And then the book actually opens, and this isn't really a spoiler because it's the prologue. The book opens um, with her rushing her beloved little rescue dog, Tim, tiny Tim, to the to the vet and um, by a very dramatic turn of events um, she discovers that her husband of several years um, has actually been cheating and so once again Christmas implodes for her she's just she's just devastated and so that dynamic just kind of made it inherently dramatic she hates Christmas and so she wants to escape and so her escape route for Christmas is, oh, I'm going to help my friend here pile these 12 dogs in a van and drive them from Texas up to the snowy woods of um, northern New York. So yeah, I was inspired by a real world situation with rescue dogs. And I was also inspired by my love of a classic Christmas story. And when I uh, see a classic Christmas story, it's either... Gift of the Magi, you know, somebody has to sacrifice something for somebody else, and then they have an equal and op- opposite sacrifice that kind of has irony and it's sweet. Or it's Scrooge, you know, Scrooge versus the world. So for the 12 dogs of Christmas, I chose Scrooge versus the world. And um, poor Brenda, she thinks that she's going to escape Christmas, and she ends up in a town that is all about christmas and they you know it's one of those towns and you probably have them near you some towns they put everything forward at christmas to the point where tourists actually come to do photo shoots and look at the lights and you know do mm-hmm. their shopping and so she has no idea what she's in for and and so there's that
0: So I'm actually from Denver, Colorado. And of course, um, there in the, in the foothills or, or, you know, in the mountains, there is that very town and it's actually, I think it's just becomes, it's called Santa's workshop or, or similar. Oh my um, God.
1: Okay. I can totally picture it. People go <laughs> the flights and yeah, you take your kids yeah. there.
0: That's right. That's right. We used to take a train ride that was, uh had a similar theme. You get on the train, they serve you hot cocoa and and hot toddies or whatever. You can sit there and eat your popcorn and look at the lights along this uh, historic train uh, route that kind of just winds through the mountains. I love that.
1: (laughs) It's a treat and I'm I'm kind of a sucker for it. But of course, Brenda in the book just wanted nothing to do with it. She was hoping she'd, you know, spend Christmas on the road, um, um, you know, at a truck stop somewhere. But she ends up obviously the the other trope that's common especially in books that take place in the dead of winter are you know the snowed in factor somebody has an accident or you know the road is closed or there's an avalanche you know some some sort of contrivance that forces her to step back and and say well i can't go home yet and you know home doesn't really mean much to her anymore so she's kind of one of those characters who's, she's really hopeful, but she's, she's kind of sad. She, you know, her marriage failed a couple years ago and um, she hasn't found her way to move on. And, and so she very unexpectedly finds it in this tiny town in upstate New York, which I, and I've used the town of Avalon in many of my books that i wrote oh. a series um years ago called the lakeshore chronicles and they're kind uh-huh. of reader favorites they all revolve around this cute little town and the the cat skills there's a summer camp and you know it's beautiful in winter and so i decided um, as just kind of an easter egg for my readers of those books to set this book there and um, the love interest adam he's a he's a character from those older books. He's all grown up now and he's a single dad and a paramedic and he's hot, of course, because it's a Susan Wiggs book after all. (laughs) And yeah, yeah. So, and, and I love the kind of um, the other thing that is fun about a book that takes place in the winter is um, there's a forced proximity that you can, you know, confront your characters with. They have to be together because Either they're snowed in or, you know, she in this case, she's um, staying with um, the the patron of this rescue organization who happens to be Adam's mother. You know, so there's lots of fun ways to um, create um, romantic tension between the characters.
0: Yeah. Um, well, congrats, of course. Um, I just was going to read. Oh, I thought it was called it Debbie. McComer, uh, another number one New York Times best author had called it charming, a charming Christmas tale of thawing hearts, escaping dogs, and finding home. But yeah, uh, congrats on the latest. Obviously, that is available now. Um, I'm sure that we will see it as we are shopping for holiday gifts at our local bookstores. And um, yeah, I thought one one interesting quote by you, uh, uh, just kind of about your love of, of the writing career and this choice that you made to pursue this career is that just that it's more it's as much of calling as it is a job for you um do you want to just expand on that a little bit because i thought that was i don't know it was just kind of a moving statement
1: oh well thank you um i think one of the easiest things in the world is to not write (laughs) it's sort of like not going to the gym you know that you should, you know that you're going to be happier with yourself if you do it, but it's super easy to not do it. You know, I've got a stack of delicious books on my nightstand. I'd much rather be reading them. But on the other hand, I think um, writers, especially um, long-term prolific writers, um feel this urge that there's a story inside them that you just need to express like breathing. And so I, you know, once I kind of get over my reluctance, there's some sort of beauty in in the expression of that. And I'm not saying that all my books are beautiful and perfect, but they are expressions of my art, my emotions, my voice And um, I, I, I'm very compelled by that, and so I I wish I could be compelled more on a schedule. That would be convenient, but (laughs) sadly, I'm not. Um, And I I do my best to try to, you know, stay on track in that way. But um, just in general, it's it's one of these things that it's. I suppose I would call it a passion. I mean, I'm not like chomping at the bit or anything. But I just always feel compelled to tell a story. And I always have. I'm one of those who, you know, was sort of a writer and storyteller from a very young age. But I do meet people who um, want to write later in life or when they're students or when they're retired. And so I love that you can come to writing at any phase of your life whenever you know mm. whenever something mm. calls to you or something happens or triggers you to want to get your story out
0: yeah i love that about writing too is that um you'll have it at at all all phases of your life and for different reasons
1: i do and it's it's interesting i'm a i'm a grandmother now and i have two lovely little grandkids and my the nine-year-old clara is. She's kind of fascinated by the process now because she's just discovering, um, you know, longer novels and expressing herself. And, you know, she carries around a notebook like Harriet the Spy. Remember, Harriet the Spy was oh, yeah. one of my favorite <laughs> books, and it's still an awesome book for kids. And so it's, it's kind of fun to see that I'm modeling that. And I just I happened to I was actually looking for your podcast and I came across a podcast with a writer named Catherine Howe. And she writes um, historical novels, but she also is the co-writer for Anderson Cooper. Um, He wrote a book about the Vanderbilts and he wrote his new book is about the Astors. And she's his co-writer. And she happened to be one of my fifth grade students back in the 1980s in 88 or something. And she was my student. And um, I remember I I was writing and teaching at the same time. I was new to it, you know, and, and, but I feel like I, I love seeing, um, you know, writers emerge from, from all kinds of places. It's really nice.
0: Yeah. Really cool. Um, What a cool story to find that podcast by a, an ex-student of yours um, who obviously is, is thriving I'm yes. um, working with some some talented people. I want to c- ask you a couple fun ones before we wrap up here. And obviously it is always a joy to wrap with you. Um, but if you had to be um, stranded in a uh, in a cat skill, and snowed in in the cat skills with any author from any era for a whole week... <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Let me see. Probably Toni Morrison. And I'll tell Mm. you why. My mom's favorite book of her life, besides mine, she was required to have mine be her her favorites. But um, my mom's favorite book was The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. And I just find her incredibly fascinating. And so I would love to spend some time with her. I believe she was a teacher. Is she, She's she mm, been a writing uh-huh. teacher. I don't know. I would just love to sit down with her and, you know, kind of discuss the craft and, and her process. And I almost said Stephen King, but he's too scary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't imagine being snowed in with Stephen King and wondering, like, if something weird was going to happen.
1: Right, right. But no, I, I, um, I don't know the way that Toni Morrison's books, um, affect me. Um, they're not like my books, but her, the, the level of her craft is just incredible to me. And so I feel like Mm -hmm. there would be a lot to learn and, and, um, there would probably be a lot to talk about.
0: For sure. For sure. So, uh, forced proximity with Toni Morrison, of course. Um, (laughs) and, and hopefully some of that would, uh. Yeah, you'd have uh, some kind of osmosis there between the two of you um, chatting and and catching up and and talking about the careers and whatnot. But yes, okay, so Toni Morrison, uh, yeah. So um, before we wrap, I wanted to ask one final question. How many dogs do you have now?
1: I now have two. I have Daisy Bellamy, and she's named after a book of mine, Marrying Daisy Bellamy, (laughs) and Doug, spelled D-U-G, Doug Gunderson. That's my married name. And um, the two of them, you know, you would think it would be a slam dunk that anybody could rescue a dog, but the the rescue organizations are pretty picky. And so, um, for example, um, we have a a pool and there were some rescue organizations that didn't want, uh, didn't like people to adopt a dog if they had a pool because it's dangerous you know there were yeah. various factors and um and so you have to apply i and um you know fill out an application and it's kind of like you know adopting they're pretty wow. serious and i understand why it's because they don't want adoptions to fail and for the dog to end up back with them or with another rescue and so they want it to be a permanent home for the dog and so they're pretty picky And, um, there were a couple that didn't work out that we applied for and you can tell them you want a small dog, you want a puppy, you want, you know, chihuahua mix, or, you know, you can say your criteria. (laughs) Uh And, um, and so we filled out all the criteria and, um, two approvals came through kind of in the same week. And we were really only looking for one dog, but, um, two puppies became available and we couldn't make up our mind. So we said, you know, what the heck? We're going to get them both, and it actually turned out to be a good move um, for these two dogs because they're best friends. They look like they're in the same litter, Daisy and Doug. And so, yeah, again, your your listeners should definitely go to my my Instagram because there are lots of pictures of Daisy and Doug there, and they're uh, crazy cute. So love yeah, have two it two at this time, and uh, that probably will will be a habit I get into. Always have two dogs at once. Um,
0: Well, the 12 Dogs of Christmas, of course, um, a a holiday um, gift worth giving, a a warm cup of cocoa on a cold winter's day uh, and a charming story. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this and coming back and wrapping up our chat um, from before. And of course, uh, um, it's always a pleasure to hang out.
1: Oh, same here. I've really enjoyed our chat and I hope you guys um, have a good Christmas this year and every year.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm.